Wait, that's a thing? Never heard of it. Oh, you have no idea. This is Haven Space, a safe place for fantasies. Brought to you by sex coach and researcher Sarah Perry. Hi, folks. This is Sarah Perry, and welcome back to Haven Space. Today, we're going to be discussing a very fun, exciting type of fetish that may not actually be a fetish at all, but we have all come to consider it as something that is innately sexual and taboo, the world of furries. Now, by the end of this video, you should know what furries are, a little bit about history about uh, the furry movement, the different types of furries that there are, where you can find them, how you can become one, and just a little bit more language and theory about why we are so drawn to this type of thing. So let's just get started. Furries are any person who dresses up like an animal or what we call anthropomorphic, which is any kind of creature that has the attributes of human kind of traits, emotions, movements, behaviors, and qualities that isn't supposed to have that. So for example, an anthropomorphic cat would be maybe a cartoon cat that walks on two legs and talks and has relationships. If you just think back to Tom and Jerry, a lot of the behaviors of those animals are not just behaviors that a cat would have or that a mouse would have. And we culturally tend to instill so much of our reality onto the way we interpret the behavior of the animals around us. Another good example would be if you have a cat and the cat gives you those eyes of hatred Really, the cat doesn't feel hatred. We are assuming that because when we are angry, we look at someone with those thin slit eyes, that it actually means the cat is angry at you. But in the reality of cats, that's actually the complete opposite. So anthropomorphic animals um, and dressing up and enjoying and sexualizing and playing with that world would be the idea of furry play. If you have had any exposure to any furries, it is probably to have seen some kind of My Strange Addiction show or maybe even a conference that you drove by and saw a bunch of people dressed up in big stuffed animal suits like they were going to birthday parties. But this is an entire movement. Now, the media has made this seem like this is a highly sexual thing. So much so that when I chose a subject this week, I said, hmm, furries, that'll be a fun subject. And really, I come to find out that it isn't so much a sexual thing as it is just something fun and enjoyable to do. Why do people engage in this type of behavior? Well, there are some different theories and not surprising as always, a lot of these theories come from psychology. There is a theory that says that sometimes people have erotic target identity inversion, which means that you fetishize that object that you are attracted to being who you are. For example, someone would say, I'm attracted to um, women. And then you would then fantasize and fetishize in your mind that you are a woman when you are not a woman in the way that we define womanhood. Similarly, um, people with that enjoy furry play could have 
erotic target identity inversion when they feel that they actually are attracted to, for example, Bugs Bunny and would be attracted to the idea of being Bugs Bunny and being the object of attention. In fact, this erotic target identity inversion makes perfect sense because we love the feeling of being desired. So it's reasonable that if you desire something, you fantasize, you enjoy the idea, it turns you on to think about being that object of your own desire, being craveable. So keep that in mind when people come around saying, oh, it could be erotic target identity inversion, which really sounds like there's an issue that you're doing something the opposite of what the norm is. Um, A conditioned fetish is another theory. A conditioned fetish is any fetish that is kind of learned, that you have learned to associate it with sexuality, something that you were exposed to a lot of times. In the case of anthropomorphic um, animals, And the people who have been interviewed about their furry play, it turns out a lot of them have very early memories of um, enjoying cartoon animals in a really calm atmosphere with a lot of love and peace and fun and kindness. And so, yes, these become conditioned things that we relate to safety and enjoyment. That's another fetish about why people may develop this type of Um, furry play, fun, or arousal. Now, um, a study by Sue and Bailey in 2019 said that the majority, the vast majority of furry players are um, not heterosexual. This could encompass a ton of other things, not necessarily homosexual. It could be pansexual. It could be queer. It could be asexual, which would go hand in hand with some of the other disclosures that I looked through that say that actually the community is super open and that that is why most people find that they want to be a part of the furry community. It's not so much something that people play on their own. It's something that is um, a form of connection and people play together and go to conventions and meet up and play together. And that kind of social network becomes a large part of what encourages people to explore who they are. So we're saying about 84% are non-hetero and about 99% of furries in this study by Sue and Bailey say that they have some degree of sexual motivation for being furries. Now let's dive into just some basic lingo. A fur artist is any person who plays with fur or engages in any kind of fur community stuff, including but not limited to actually making the fur suits. Um, Another term for that is a fur suit maker. And most fur suits actually take between two weeks and about two months. And we're looking at something between $700 to $7,000 a suit. And that is If you are going on the conservative side, of course, you can make these suits look like all kinds of wild different things and have all kinds of kind of extra stuff that would make them much more expensive. Like, for example, making the eyelids or ears be animated or a tail be animated. Another term you may have heard is a fur suitor or fur suiting is a person who is 
um, suited in the character who actually wears a fursuit. A fursona is the character that a person plays. So, for example, a person may typically have one type of suit and one type of character that they play instead of many different suits, which is what I would have assumed. Turns out most people like to engage as one specific character and then have a fursona. And they would come up with a name and an identity. And a lot of times these fursonas don't speak in words. They actually only communicate using hand gestures, giving themselves the utmost privacy. A normie would then be a person who does not engage in fur play and does not wear suits or have anything to do with the furry community. Um, so most people who are listening to this are probably normies. A fervert would be a term for a person who is sexually attracted to furries. This is the inside community term, so make sure you're not going around calling your friends ferverts because you don't want to turn something that is actually just a descriptive phrase into something that can be a little bit derogatory. I had to go ahead and include the idea of a plushie, which is a person who has a strong erotic attachment to stuffed animals. They are not the same thing. Furries are very much um, attracted to and living a life of a, a animal that it resembles a person and behaves like a person and that attraction is very different to a furry stuffed animal which has no human characteristic as far as the way it behaves or moves or talks so a plushie would be a person that is attracted to these kinds of like dormant stuffed animals um, there's also plush mutilators which are the people who whether or not they find it sexually attractive, actually break um, stuffed animals and cut them up and stab them. And a lot of people that are plush mutilators then aren't really accepted into the furry community because so much of the furry community is kindness and love and cuddling and comes from that kind of memory of home and solace. And you wouldn't go ahead and break that up through a, like a violent stabbing of your favorite stuffed animal. Um, it has been shown that a lot of people who engage in pleasure with stuffed animals and who have erotic attraction to stuffed animals actually um, have sex with the stuffed animals by like cutting a little hole in it or they um, can have sex on the stuffed animals like ejaculate onto them or masturbate with them. So it's important to remember, going back to furries, that characters have different names, people's personas have different names than them, and that all, not all these characters are realistic. Some are very forward animals, some would be like, for example, raccoons, although the most common animal is a fox and a wolf. And most animals are actually a combination of either foxes or wolves with other animals also. So when I'm saying that some animals are not realistic, I mean, maybe an animal would be like part shark and part raccoon. And that is part of the fun of the furry movement is having people who just get to explore their creativity in that way. Um, a Vanity Fair article claims that um, a person named Dickinson, who is a self-disclosed furry, describes the experience as it being a new way of looking at the world, quote, um, quotes looking like, it's like looking at the world with baby eyes or cub eyes, 
unquote. So definitely there is a sense of peace, camaraderie, acceptance that um, comes with this type of community that may not be that way in most of the communities that people live in in the world. Um, There is very little tolerance for hate, and throughout many interviews that I read and many studies that I read, the incidences of inner peer violence are very low, and the incidences of depression and suicide are extremely low, leading me to say that maybe enjoying communities where we get to be open and free and held in positive regard is the key to creating happiness. While some of the people that disclose all of the fantastic things about dressing in fursuits um, kind of stick to the positive interactions, one of the things that causes a lot of anxiety for some of these people is actually breaking character. Like forgetting that you're in character and taking off your head. Um, For example, there are specific rooms in conventions that are called headless rooms that are designed as lounges for people to cool off because these suits can get very, very, very hot. Um, Another idea for overheating would be to do a scuba undersuit for cooling. Um, Some people actually place rags with cold or ice water around their necks. And a lot of these conventions can sometimes take place um, in very, very hot places. Therefore, it's important for people to stay safe and keep track of their body temperature. The most common question that fursuiters get asked is how do they go to the bathroom? And here's the shocker. They take their suit off and they go to the bathroom. It's not that complicated. Um, Some people choose to have a hidden zipper put in the crotch, um, but most of the time these hidden zippers are not so much for going to the bathroom, which can get really messy, but for having sex. Now, the vast majority of furries do not engage in sexual contact while fur wearing, but the ones that do tend to be the younger crowd and tend to be extremely playful about this type of thing. In fact, you can look up YouTube videos where there are people teaching how to do a lap dance while in the fursuit, and I don't know many things that are more playful than that. A common misconception is that fursuiters wear diapers so that they can go many, many, many hours with their fursuit on, but that's actually almost unheard of in the community. Though I can imagine that there is some overlap between diaper lovers and furries, it hasn't been widely studied and it certainly didn't show up in any of my research. When people discussed what the worst parts of the furry hobby is, they mostly said that it's just a very expensive hobby and you can imagine with the price of these items how quickly it can add up. Another thing that was mentioned is the amount of fur that is everywhere from these costumes. Imagine having a very long-haired dog turns into the very similar situation. The suits are also very hard to take care of and to clean because this type of fabric is not meant to be washed over and over without becoming very matted. That leads it to becoming even a more expensive hobby if you're having to replace your suit regularly. Catherine Gates, a sex researcher, has mentioned that some plushophiles may not be really, quote, relationship suitable. So what she's saying when she mentions this is the idea that sometimes men who have very low testosterone then become unattracted to women and then focus on other objects that are non-procreational to become attracted to. This has been studied a little bit, but to say that most people that develop attractions for 
stuffed animals or for dressing like an anaphomorphic animal are probably undesirable to procreate is not only a little bit harsh, but I don't know how you could ever actually prove that. It is disclosed, though, that so much of the community is gay and male, and that those rates of the community um, attraction actually change when they include women into the community. The rates of homosexuality and homosexual contact actually drop. But that's actually kind of exactly what the book Sex at Dawn brings up. This idea that our communities become more queer as population density increases because they have to lower the amount of animals being born, the amount of reproduction that is happening so queer communities develop so that we can continue engaging in sexuality without causing offspring. So it makes perfect sense that in a community that is largely male, there is more queer behavior. And the moment that there are more women introduced, more females introduced to the community, then those queer incidences fluctuate to reflect that. Now, who invented this thing about the furries? Well, it really originated at um, a science convention in the 1980s when a character from Steve Galaxi actually started a discussion on on anthropomorphic animals and it was basically picked up by Walt Disney and Warner Brothers. So think about the history of Walt Disney and how Warner Brothers came to be with, um, for example, the Looney Tunes and the Animaniacs. And these were very much the birth of the furry movement. Although historical furry illustrator Terrell Wayne actually says that Furries tend to resist an association with this kind of historical counterpart because they would like to claim to be an entirely different breed, which makes perfect sense considering the fact that it is now a huge movement. So there have been a bunch of different conventions that have existed since about the 1990s. Um, um, Some of them you could look into would be maybe the Further Confusion Convention in San Jose, um, Anthrocon in Philadelphia, The Midwest Fur Fest is really small, but it has about 400 people still attending. Uh, There's the Furry Weekend in Atlanta, and then there's international conventions like RBW and Midfur in the UK and Australia, respectively. Rare Brazzler is the first furry-focused amateur press association, not to mention the amount of incredible websites that have to do with furries. To name just a few, we have some like furrymate.com, fairzu, F-E-R-Z-U.com, furrysingles.com, and those are just some of the ones to actually meet other furries. Um, Of course, there are Pinterest boards, there are groups on FetLife, there is furryforlife.org, which is more about getting to know the community, and meeting other people that may have similar interests. Lastly, I'd like to let you know that if you'd like to engage in something like this, a good way to prepare and be safe is to join these communities online first, get to know some of these people, and then show up. I think there's a lot to be enjoyed about having this kind of fun, flirty, anonymous sex, but it has to be done with safety and consent, and you have to do all of the normal things that I recommend, like drink lots of water, 
don't take too many drugs or alcohol and of course be um, in the most peaceful state of mind so that you know exactly what you want and what you don't want in the process. So to recap, we talked about furries today. We talked about what furries are, a little bit about history. We talked about different kind of terminology that is used in the furry community, how you could kind of explore this for yourself, what the downsides and upsides are about this community, and how to make this experience happen for yourself with all of the consent, respect, and pleasure that your body is worthy and capable of. Special thanks to the Anthony Padilla channel um, for always keeping content that gives me good up-to-date interviews from real people in the communities. And I will continue searching for this type of stuff if you like it. Please let me know your thoughts, contact me directly, and I will catch you next time. This has been another podcast of Haven Space. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Haven Space by Sarah and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Haven Space by Sarah. If you enjoyed this talk, consider becoming a patron and helping fund more talks like this in the future.